Let's take a minute and thank our sponsors for helping grow this podcast to bigger and better every episode. Our first one is SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Our next one is Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. And Flipping Coffee, brewing real coffee with real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, standardization, and safety checks. Or maybe just an annual FAA refresher is what you need. They're ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is amazing. With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members that are offering training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, and ground operations. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with a personal protective equipment inspection course and the highly specific Lazard, which is used for helicopter cliff and mountain rescue. And to add into it, they also teach ground tactical emergency care. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Again, sr3rescueconcepts.com or follow them on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. That's sr3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation. Manufactures the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From their Triton harness, which is my favorite harness being a rescueman, to the rescue basket, litters, and of course the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, yes, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, sews, wells, and machines these products into existence every day and sends them on their way to us. We do our work so that you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out at lifesavingsystems.com. That's lifesavingsystems.com. And follow them over on Instagram, at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. That's at Rescue Gear. Next is Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements has changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, operators, and those rescued has not. Contact Breeze Eastern today by visiting at breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. And the last one is Flippin' Coffee. At Flippin' Coffee, we roast each batch to perfection to bring that smooth, delicious cup of coffee that you won't find in most other brands. We like to keep it simple. Brewing real coffee using real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. Contact them today at flippincoffee.com. That's F-L-I-P-P-I-N coffee.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at flippincoffee. That's at F-L-I-P-P-I-N coffee. As a bonus, Flippin' Coffee is given a promotion. If you punch in promotion code, all capitals, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, you get 10% off. That's promo code REALRESCUE, capitals, all capitals, 
R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, and you get 10%. If you're just going to send everybody an email, just make sure you tell them one thing. Quinny sent me here. And thank you to all of our sponsors. My next guest is coming from Austin, Texas. And what a great conversation I had with him. He goes into some good rescues, some techniques, some different things that they do down there. And he brought in a little reality check that needs to be done with a good bunch of lessons learned. And I, I was really, I was humbled by it and, uh, and I'm excited to share it with you guys. So without further ado, please welcome Steph Meyer. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome my next guest, Mr. Steph Meyer, flying with Starflight out of Travis County, Austin, Texas. What's up, Mr. Steph? How are you today, buddy? Not much, man. How are you? It's good to see you again. Dude, good to see you too, man. Good to see you too. Thanks for coming on to the Real Rescue yeah. Podcast with me, brother. Oh, no, good. I'm glad to do it, man. I'm excited. Yeah, we're going to get us some good stuff today. Oh, we are, definitely. And, uh, you know, you and I have, have gone, well, we just taught a class together, which was super fun, and just getting to hang around helicopters, man. I, you know, like, we just have fun. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> how can you have a bad day at work when you're doing that? Like, at the end of the day, like, I always think, like, you know, there's probably a worse job I could be doing. But I, right? So. Could be stuck behind a desk or a computer. Wait yeah. a minute. What are we wait. doing right now? Yeah. Like, wait a minute. Uh, you know, yesterday, <laughs> I was flying around in a helicopter. I better not complain. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, Steph, if you uh, if you would be so kind, please just kind of introduce yourself to everybody. You know, feel free to just, you know, give a little bit of information about who you are and then how you got into search and rescue. All right. Yeah. Uh, so like you said, I work for uh, Austin Travis or uh, not Austin Travis. Sorry. I work for Travis County Starflight in Austin, Texas. That's the early morning getting to me. Uh, and I've worked there for almost 22 years now. Nice. Um, I was on a ground ambulance before then. I uh, started in 95 with uh, Austin Travis County EMS at the time and um, was a ground ambulance guy. I was a, a BLS provider uh, for a while. And they, uh, kind of, they started up, uh, originally the rescue team was all paramedics. And, um, so I couldn't be on it cause I was on a BLS truck, but then they decided that they wanted to kind of expand their capabilities and have the, the ability to deliver, uh, uh, rescue care, um, faster. And so they, they knew they had all these EMTs and we were all young at the time. Like, you know, but I think back of how young I was, right. I was like 21, 22 <laughs> right? years old. Yeah. And they were like, Hey, you want to, you know, drive fast in an ambulance and then hang off of ropes and, and maybe one day be on a helicopter. I'm like, ah, that sounds good to me. I'm in like, <laughs> and we might pay you a little extra. And I was like, Oh yeah, even better. I was like, awesome. you know, yeah. Like, I just, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I was on a ground based special operations rescue team for a while, uh, as a training officer with them for a little while. And then, uh, in 99, um, the spot opened up on the helicopter and I, uh, you know, threw my hat in the ring, took my chances and, uh, I uh, was fortunate enough to be selected, and and the rest is is kind of history. I've been been there ever since. Um, so, flight That's paramedic, awesome. yeah, flight paramedic, hoist operator, still a part time kind of rescue swimmer, but 
uh, as I get older, I find that I'm, I'm probably a little better off running the hoist than being on the end of it. So. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I love it. Um, uh, so for clarification wise, just for everybody out there and all our listeners, um, your rescue swimmer training is a little bit different than ours as far as Coast Guard wise, but you guys do a lot more like swift water stuff. So you're put into swift water and you're also more of a rescue man on the hook. So you go down to land, uh, building tops, so on and so forth, right? Yeah. So, you know, we say rescue swimmer here and uh, uh, it's probably more of a hybrid, like swift water rescue technician nice. kind of a thing uh, than it is like the, like a coast guard rescue swimmer or somewhere else. I think that just, just kind of becomes like in the United States where crew chief no longer means you, you know, turn wrenches on a helicopter for a right. lot of programs. Agreed. You're the, the hoist operator or something like that. And so yeah. that's just a term we use. Uh, but uh, where we live in, in central Texas is kind of a, it's commonly known as flash flood alley. There's some geography there that makes it really prone to uh, uh, flash floods and Texas that part of Texas kind of has two monsoon type seasons in the fall and in the spring where we get, you know, these cold fronts or, or weather systems that move through and dump a ton of rain in a short, very short period of time. And so, yeah. you know, these dry Creek beds or these barely trickling, trickling creeks kind of all of a sudden go from no water to, uh, you know, over the low water crossing above the bridge and people, you know, aren't paying attention or they think their car is big and they drive through it. And, you know, they, we get called to find them, you know, either still stuck on the roof of their car or, you know, clinging to a tree. So yeah, that's mostly, that's kind of our, I, if we had to, had to say specialty, I'd say that that's our specialty. That's <laughs> our bread and butter. There is uh, yeah swift water work in between there. We do a little, there's some land-based rescue and SAR in there. People go out and, you know, the state parks or, uh, Texas is a big place. There's a lot of open area. And so people go out and get hurt. And so we do a, a, some land-based rescue and stuff like that. But I'd say overwhelmingly where we really get the most bang for our buck is in the swift water environment. Nice. And, and there's a lot of uh, technical work when it comes to helicopter rescue in swift water, because, you know, in one aspect, you are sitting in a hover, which is totally fine. But as soon as you as a rescuer get in the water, now you've got this rushing water that's in your almost angled at like a 45 degree or worse angle, trying to attach somebody to a quick strap, a capture strap, a something to get them out of that area and then get them to dry land. Um, or you end up chasing them. So now your helicopter pilots doing this, this like weaving with the river, following the river, watching out for power lines. And there, there's so many technical things that go on with river rescue that, that people just, they look at, oh, that's, yeah, we can do that. Well, it's a little more complicated than just we're going to go pick somebody out of a river. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it, you know, if they're stationary on the roof of their car, then, you know, it's, it's not, it can be challenging, but you think about that, you know, it's a static problem, but right. you know, if, if somebody's clinging onto a tree in the water and you've got, you know, all this rushing water, you know, it's, as they say in swift water, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's powerful, it's predictable, but it, and it's relentless. Uh, so, you know, the water, it's not like, I guess, for you guys, the ocean where, you know, there's a set of waves and then it's kind of a, yeah. a lull for a second. And you can do stuff, you know, most of our floods, the, however fast the water's moving, it's just constant until there, until it runs out of water, really? you've got that much force pushing you, right? And so until yeah. the creek goes shy, yeah. you know, you've got, you know, however much water pushing down on you. And so it can be really challenging, especially like you said, if, you know, we're not on our game or we misread the situation uh maybe somebody's finally so cold and hypothermic that they just can't hold on anymore 
And right. they start moving down the river. Now, you know, then it gets real technical real fast. And, right. and if you're not prepared for that, if you haven't thought about it or, or planned for it or trained for it, then, you know, you can get uh, the, not only, you know, the victim can get in a bad spot, but you can get the rescuer and then subsequently or potentially even the aircraft in a bad spot. Yeah. You get, you know, you, your hoist operator is not managing the cable well and there's trees and cars and what, who knows what else floating down the river. And now you got yeah. that wrapped up in the cable. And now I got yeah. my rescuer is, you know, tied to this tree that's wrapped around the cable that's now pulling on the aircraft. Like you can have a bad day pretty quick. So pretty quick. Yeah. No, so. No. Damn. Gosh, that's, that's pretty gnarly. And uh, yeah. yeah. Well, all right. So now with that, let's go into your very first Sarkey. So and I know you're a paramedic, you were a, you're a street paramedic for a while. And uh, you and I just had this conversation about, hey, let me tell you my first paramedic story. But you you don't even remember. Kind of had a stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so. It was hard. I tried to remember the first like SAR case when I was on a, the, the spec ops team on a ground based stuff. And I can't remember that. But the two kind well, the two most memorable, I suppose, are the one most memorable blends together because I was still on a ground ambulance. And it was my first helicopter rescue. So um, I remember I was working out of the station that was out at Lake Travis. Uh, at the time, I think it was called uh, Med, or Med Rescue 16. Um, and I think it's still Med Rescue 16. Um, but, you know, it's been a hot minute since I worked there, almost three decades. So um, and we get called out for uh, a woman who, who broke her ankle and it comes in as a high angle rescue. And so, all right. And so we go out. And I'm working with a, a partner whose name I, escapes me at the moment. And we go up and they dispatch us this road and they go up there and it's a house on a hill. And we're like, okay. And they're like, oh, she's down, you know, in the backyard. All right, no big deal. And so we, we walk over there thinking like, oh, she just, you know, fell in the backyard and somehow got coded as a rescue because somebody said, oh, she's in this. And so they, they lead us to this little trail and, and the husband or, or somebody points down the trail. And we're like, okay. And so we start walking down the trail. And then I'm starting to think, oh, this is starting to get a little more challenging everywhere we go. Like, this is going to be, we're going to have to, you know, this is going to be a, you know, thank God the fire department's here, it's, you know, and this stuff, because we're going to have to carry this lady out. And we kept going wow. and it's twilight and we keep going, we keep going, going. And it's, <clears throat> I, it's, uh, if anybody's ever been to Austin, they're familiar uh, with uh, the restaurant, the Oasis, it was near there. And so it's this overlook and then it's probably two or 300 foot of, I don't know, pretty significant loose rock kind of slope through cedar trees all the way down to the river's edge or the, oh, wow. the lake's edge. And she had made her way about 90% of the way to the thing. So we're, and it's dark and it's starting to get dark. And so we're all huddled around and then we get our legs splinted up. And uh, back in the day, we gave morphine for pain. So give her some morphine for, for nice. pain. And we're sitting there and we're like, well, what do we do? And we all look at it like, man, it's going to take us forever to, we're going to have to build like, you know, a hall system and carry her up and then stop and then reset another one, another one. And finally, you know, we all kind of looked at it and we said, Hey, maybe we ought to just use the helicopter. Maybe it's just that easy. Let's just do that. And so, but uh, you know, we didn't do a lot. So, you know, we're just that of, easy. That's what yeah, I'm talking well, about. The, I say that now, but at the time, man, we had two paramedics. I think we had sweat and we were more worried about, oh, we're going to call the helicopter and we're going to get in trouble for calling the helicopter. Like, oh, this is going to be terrible. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but we did. And so, you know, it worked out pretty well. You know, we, we got our package in the Stokes, got everything going. And then I remember there was this moment where my partner and I are looking at each other and it was the, all right, well, who's going to go out with her? 
who's going to ride the basket? And, and back then we didn't have a hoist. We were, uh, the, uh, Starflight was using, uh, a 412 at the time. So they were, it was a short haul program back then. This is, you know, probably, oh, we're probably talking nice. 97 here. Okay. And so short haul. So they're going to short haul over to the parking lot of this other thing, set her down and we'll figure out how we're going to get her to the hospital from there. And, uh, I remember my partner and I kind of look at each other like, do you want to go? Do you want to go with both of us knowing full well that we wanted to go? And so after a few <laughs> seconds of kind of this, well, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? I finally made the uh, executive decision. I was like, well, I'm writing the chart. So it's, I'm going out with the helicopter. Yeah. So. <laughs> Come on, Steph. <laughs> so, I think, you know, probably to this day, he probably looks back at that and, and probably, you know, has some choice words for me. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah so uh they came in and it was uh uh two uh uh good friends of mine uh uh the pilot was uh uh willie culberson and the uh crew chief that day was uh jim all day and they lowered the rope down to me and and you know he hooked up the bag and he lifted her up and you know my biggest regret to this day i think back on it is that this was back in nice so this was in the days before everybody in the world had some sort of video recording device so here's this great like a helicopter lifts us off the sun's setting we go out over the lake and, and all this and i'm like where's the video of that like, I, like how come i can't have a video of that um so in the end you know we land we sit her in the uh, set her in the parking lot and it all goes pretty well and, and uh the the good folks on the helicopter were nice enough to go ahead and just take her to the hospital so i didn't we didn't have to you know as we were oh, cleaning up all our gear and didn't have to drive drive into the hospital and stuff like that. And then I got to sit around for the rest of the day and feel like I was king of the world. I had just gotten, <laughs> you know, I'd done it in training a few times and stuff, but I'm doing it for real. And man, I felt like I was the man at that point. Dude, that's awesome. What a great first story. What a great first rescue, especially with helicopter stuff, man. That's killer. Yeah, it was, and uh, so that kind of, you know, from there, I think I was kind of, you know, at that point I was hooked. Like the helicopter stuff was fun. I was like, man, this is, I, yeah, people really get to do this like i'm in like how do i you know sign me up uh so man great story dude oh that's killer i love it that's awesome well i, I think the most well no go sorry ahead. man go ahead. no go ahead go ahead well i was just saying like i think the interesting like the funny thing is is that um you know i, I kind of got into search and rescue um i won't say by accident i, I when i finished paramedic school i took a, a swift water rescue course down in New Braunfels and uh it was fun and you know I kind of enjoyed it and then like I said when I was on a still driving a ground ambulance they invited some of us um BLS providers to join this the the rescue team and do all this um but I'd been exposed to it uh at a much earlier age because uh, uh oddly enough I'm the second generation working on Starflight so my mom worked for the for the same program that I do back when I was in high school so what? all these people that, yeah that's so it's kind great. of great yeah, a friend of mine wrote a book uh, called uh, Life in the Dead Man's Curve. It's a shameless plug for his book. Uh, and he talks about how when I was in high school, I would come up to the station to visit my mom when she was working on the helicopter. And I, he refers to me, I think, then as a punk kid. He, in the book, he lies. He says I had uh, purple hair at the time. That's absolutely not true. It was blue. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so I just, I, it's interesting. So, That's great. You know, after I kind of got established in my career and stuff, oh. you know, my mom moved on. She left the helicopter and she went on to, to be a traveling nurse and stuff. But I ended up working with all these people that had worked with my mom. And so 
it was kind of entertaining because I think at times, anytime I, maybe my ego got too big because I was on the helicopter or something like that. Uh, the people who had worked with her or worked with me were no shortage of, uh, or no, not at all upset to remind me of the things I did and how I looked when I was, you know, 17 years old or 16 years old coming up to the station with, you know, purple or blue hair at the time and all this other stuff. So it was always kind of an ego check to have some guys like, yeah, you remember when you got, you know, your, your mom had to come bail you out because you, you know, got in trouble for, you know, doing this. And I was like, oh, yes, I remember that. Like, yeah, we remember that too. And I'm like, oh, thanks, guys. So. Um, <laughs> totally called out that's awesome yeah I, it's always kind of been an ego check for a while now now it's been so long that most of the people there don't remember working with her they, they don't know that and so i kind of keep it quiet up until you know up until telling now. your audience now <laughs> this is what happens to me right but i had managed to keep it kind of quiet I, in fact, I told people the other day at work they're like what your mom worked here and i was like yeah you didn't know that and they're like no we had no idea and i was like yeah i keep it kind of quiet because People just pick on me, so yeah, it's it's gonna come around. Yeah, <laughs> what oh, are you gonna Steph, do? That's awesome. That is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, well, I, I'll tell you what. Let's. Uh, I want to get into a couple of different rescues that um, that you had, and two of which you specifically earned a couple of awards for. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'm just gonna kind of read them, and then I would love for you to kind of take me take me through a little bit of each of the rescues. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Well, this one, so 2014 Higgins and Langley Memorial Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Field of Swift Water Rescue is hereby presented to Stefan Mayer, flight paramedic, rescue swimmer, hoist operator. Um, this is dated June 6, 2014. Uh, in honor of your personal service and the commitment by Travis County Star Flight to the highest standards of swift water and flood rescue training, preparedness and professionalism and devotion, which accumulated in the technically challenging rescues of 32 victims who were swept away, surrounded or stranded by dangerous floodwaters generated by the severe thunderstorms on October 30 and 31 of 2013. Without the Travis County Star Flight robust swift water rescue program, Countless lives would have surely been lost in these devastating storms. Staff, that's awesome. 32 lives or 32 victims. Dude, that's crazy. So you have this major thunderstorm that comes, rolls through your area over a two-day period in 2013. Dude, hit me. What do you got? Yeah, so that's part of the, I mean, we. <clears throat> that's the, that. Like earlier, I was talking about we get a kind of a two-pronged monsoon season. We get it in the spring, we get it in the fall. And that was uh, – we tend to have a lot of floods around Halloween, oddly enough, and, and Thanksgiving. We have these big flood events. And so uh, I just think I was just lucky enough to, to be on duty that day and, and, and be lumped in with the award because um, I came in on the morning and uh, everybody had been out all night rescuing folks. So both aircraft that were available that day. Uh, were out and they were rescuing people and they'd been, you know, doing real, you know, technical, you know, technically difficult rescues, you know, out of windows, yep. people all on the, in trees, on the roof of their cars. I think wow. hey, these were, this was bad enough. I think there were some homes that were kind of flooded and swept away. And so they're out doing their work. And so at the time, uh, this was after uh, in uh, oh, I 2011, 
2010, we had had some pretty significant wildland fires and burned a lot of homes. So we purchased a, a Super Huey to, to do some wildland fire stuff. And so I managed to get into work that morning and it was, you know, the storm was kind of passing through and, and I want, I was all, you know, like, I want to go rescue folks. Give me, where's my helicopter? And they were both out <laughs> doing stuff. And I'm like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they said, well, we're going to put you on the Huey. And I was like, well, there's no hoist on the Huey. The Huey's, you know, we had a rig for firefights. We didn't, we didn't have any hoist provisions on it. And they're like, yeah. well, we'll give you a couple of rescuers. And what we'll do is, you know, you can go out and then, you know, if there's neighborhoods that you can just land in and get people who are cut off uh, and move. And I was like, oh man, I don't want to do that. That didn't sound like, you know, I want to be a hero. Uh, heroes don't just land i gotta do something so we thought about it for a while and i was listening to dispatch there's all this stuff going on and then i thought back to those 412 short hauling days and i and so i asked uh, uh the boss who was there at the time and i said hey uh you know can we build a short haul for the for the huey can we short haul folks and and he thought about it for a second he said yeah we can do that so we run out there and we we build this short haul um uh you know attach it to the the cargo hook on the band and the, rig it up so there's two points of attachment we got it all set up and we go out and, and they give me two rescuers i'm like all right and the first thing they do is they tell us to go to this neighborhood that's all flooded uh basically to, to deliver uh they were concerned this was kind of after the the hurricane katrina thing right so there was some concern that there may be some people trapped in the roof and so we were going to fly out there and mainly just move uh some equipment around so that if that happened that they, we were prepared to you know cut a hole in the roof and get folks out uh and so on the way there, we get a call and they say, hey, uh, never mind, we're going to divert you to this call. The uh, Travis County Sheriff's officer has called and said, he, you know, he's stuck in the, you know, in the back of this pickup with about seven, eight, ten people or something like that. You know, oh, that wow. they need. Yeah. So I was like, OK, so we we fly around and we come back and sure enough, we find this truck. And yeah, it's the water's kind of up over the hood uh, and there is a, a family. Uh, and some folks sitting in the, in the back of this pickup truck and the sheriff's officer standing there. And I'm like, yeah, there's a bunch of folks there. So, we, you know, we recon the area and we talk about it. <clears throat> and uh, this is one of those things where, you know, in your head, you always like, you know what you're supposed to do. You prep for this kind of situation. And then you go out and, and I probably did exactly the wrong thing in terms of <laughs> I was the most inefficient rescue you could be. Like, instead of like, I'm going to sit down and we're going to do all this. Like, I was like, let me find the most inefficient way to do this. And so that's what I did. Uh, so we land and we put a guy on the end of the line and we, we call him and he's got, <clears throat> we called it a spider rig. Uh, it's a big O-ring and it's got uh, six attachment points to it. And, and so we had the ability to take six people at a time uh, off of the, the truck. And so we're like, we only have to do this in a couple of trips. And, and in retrospect, what I should have done was put him down there with enough stuff that he could have got everybody hooked up and ready that I could have come in, grabbed them moved him, set him down, come back, you know, grabbed him, moved him and, and not made him work, you know, 80 feet below a hovering Huey. It's blowing stuff all over the place, but that's not what I did. So um, we put him in the back of the truck and then just sat there over the top of him. Uh, and he had to you know, work and his equipment's blowing around. And so we pick him up and then uh, pick everybody up and short haul him over and set him down on dry ground. And, and then for some reason, I didn't just give him a brand new set of, of harnesses to do it. I made him repack all of them and put <laughs> all them back on. So uh, in the end, like it worked out pretty well. There was a picture. It was pretty cool. Like the last people to go out were the, the sheriff's officers. And um, there used to be, a, I think I still have it somewhere, a picture of uh, us short hauling the sheriff's officers. And 
he didn't want to leave his uh, his firearm, his uh, shotgun in the back, so it's hanging off of him. And so the wind, they, they took the picture right as he must have spun just right. And so the, just picture this guy flying through the air and his shotgun's hanging out, and you could clearly see. And so people are like, "What are y'all doing?" Like, it's really not what it seems. I just, I get it. His vehicle was swamped. He didn't want to leave it in the back of his thing. Uh, wow. And it's funny too, is uh, my buddy didn't know it. I didn't realize it until we were halfway through it. Is that the family brought all their pets, and so they were all wearing backpacks. And and uh, he was like, "Hey, you know, try to do it." And halfway through the short haul, and one of them, this head pops out of the backpack, and everybody's <laughs> backpack was full of small dogs. And so oh. all these dogs in the back looking around. I just thought it was funny because I was like, I asked him later, I was like, "Did you know they all had dogs?" And he's like, "What are you talking about?" It's like everybody's backpack was full of a dog. And he's like. <laughs> or he's like, I was wondering why they wouldn't get rid of their bags. I was like, yeah, it's because they had their dogs in it. Oh my God, but, that's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be lumped in and and be allowed to receive that award. But really, it was the the, the rest of the folks from Starfight who who were out really doing some some pretty technical rescue work that night. Uh, and you know, I just I came in and and really I laugh about it because it, it worked out and you know no one got hurt. And, but it was probably you know, inefficient. It really, you know, it was interesting to me because it was one of those things is, you know, you look back and we had talked about doing that exact scenario. Like what if we have to move a large group of people? We had that spider rig specifically for doing that. And we had talked about, you know, kind of doing a round robin of setting you down with all the equipment and getting the aircraft out of the way, let you get everybody packaged up, ready to go. And then just bring the line in, grab a group, move them out. The next group's already ready to go, set them down, come back. And so it was in, you know, all that. And when I was done, I thought about it and I thought all the things we've talked about, we wrote a procedure for it. We had a plan for it. And then in the heat of the moment, I went and did the most inefficient thing. I hover <laughs> over, only gave him one set of equipment. And yeah. so, you know, I, I accept the award and I was very humbled to be included in that. Uh, but really at the end of the day, it was everybody else. I just, you know, when they said like who did rescues that day, I think I moved like eight, you know, eight or nine people. And so, uh, I, I managed to get, you know, was tagged on to the award. And I, I'm very appreciative of those folks for, for submitting my name along with everyone else's. But I really think that uh, everybody else who worked that night really did the real work. And I just happened to, to kind of come along and provide some comedic relief in the end. So, um, but I'll you know, take it. Uh, and I'll take, I'll, the, I'll take the comic <laughs> genius story there. Uh, yeah. and, you know what? And, and good job to everybody else that was out there and doing it. And, and for you, I mean, way to give credit where credit is due. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard it many times. We're all out there for the same reason to protect those that are in dis uh, despair. And, you know, that's oh, what absolutely. we do, like, you know, they, right, uh, right, right place at the right time or wrong place at the right uh, time, whatever, however you want to talk about it, you know, we're there. So, but yeah. And then, and, you know, those guys, you know, I, I will say that, um, some of the stuff and the lessons we learned that night, uh, they learned, you know, it was incredible. They did such good work. Uh, and, you know, it's those types of moments. Like after sometimes people ask me, like, why are you still doing this? You know, why are you still here after 20, you know, two years of being a flight paramedic? Why are you still here? And I think it's it's moments like that, you know, that yeah, all these people, you know, put aside, you know, it's storming. You know, most of us live in the Austin area. And, you know, I think it's that self uh, self-sacrifice or service to others or, or whatever the right term for that is, is that, you know, you're willing to leave your home, which very well could be, you know, da being damaged by the flood or something else to go out and help people you don't know. I mean, you know, I'm sure you, you know, and over yeah. your course of your career, you've done that. Like, you know, we're going out to help people and, and we don't know them and, and nope. we don't know anything about them, but 
you know, you're willing to, to, to leave your family behind for a night to go help others. And, and, and you know, and that's what keeps me coming back is at times, you know, it is a, a flight paramedic. That's the stuff that, you know, for me really um, brings it home as to why I'm out there. It's, it's that, you know, servitude, willingness to help others, even if it, you know, comes at a little bit of a personal cost, you know, being in search and rescue, you know, we don't get to schedule like, oh, next Tuesday at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, we're going to go out and do a rescue and yeah, then yeah. We'll be, I'll be home in time for dinner. Don't worry yeah, about it. Like, yeah. it's the thing, you know, it's the search and rescue causes you to, you know, no one knows when it's going to flood or if you're in public safety and you do a little more than just search and rescue. We don't know when <clears throat> fires are going to start and when you're going to be out fighting fire all day or if you're in law enforcement when you're going to have to do something. And then, you know, so. That means that at times those people who are out there doing this job, like whether it's us or any of the other programs across the country and world that do search and rescue, it means, you know, you miss the anniversary. You miss, sometimes you miss your kid's birthday and stuff and you're out yeah. there doing stuff. I think that's what, at the end of the day, that's what, you know, makes me proud to be part of this community is this right. willingness to, to put aside personal, you know, I don't know, personal satisfaction or not satisfaction, but put aside your personal life and go out and help people. Uh, and that's what makes it it's such a cool community to be a community to be a part of to look around and say like you know we're all out there doing the same thing we may not always agree on the right technique or piece of equipment or something like that but at the end of the day i think we all agree on on what the job is and that's to go out and help others who have found themselves in a position to where you know those of us who are lucky enough to be in especially helicopter search and rescue have a very unique set of skills uh, that can maybe help them. And, and if we don't go help them, that there, there's potentially going to be a bad outcome for those people. And so that's Man, what makes are, me. Uh, you're a spot on with all of that. I've missed birthdays, anniversaries, uh, all sorts of different events and, and holidays. And, you know, you're like, well, that's, that's just, it's part of the job. It's part of the job. So Yeah. You, you, and a big shout out to like, let me just say to everyone's, significant other and kids who understand that because they suffer too right like True kids statements. go out and at the end of the day like a lot of times they get kind of maybe forgotten in all this that at the end of the day like what allows us to go out and do these things is that you have a a, a, a great support at home support you know behind the scenes support from a family that understands what you're doing and is willing to accept those sacrifices that you're making because they know what you're doing so um i give a big shout out to everyone's you know son daughter husband wife boyfriend girlfriend just families across you know the world that you know understand the sacrifices that are being made so that we can go help complete strangers well said sir well said i can't agree more man that's awesome well in that case let me bring you to the next one because i, I don't think right. i can follow up with any other questions to, to hey. Oh, yeah, we'll, man we'll go to the next one all right so now six months later and i kid you not six months later here you are, April 27th, 2015. Uh, you get another Higgins and Langley Swiftwater Rescue Incident Award. Uh, same thing, Travis County Star Flight. And is that second crew? Is that? Yeah, we were on the second aircraft. Okay. So okay. we had two aircraft on duty. We were on the second aircraft. Okay. Got it. So Travis County Star Flight, second crew, Travis County, Texas. And this is. Uh, honoring the rescue of two victims from a dangerous low head dam near Lake Mahia, where their boat was capsized on April 27, 2015. So you guys were given an award for this one too. So run me through it. What happened? So this one, <clears throat> well, 
this one's interesting I, or maybe interesting south the world this one's tough for me because um this occurred this rescue up at, at Mejia occurred simultaneously is that the primary aircraft uh had a line of duty death occur uh oh, and so man. this one's a little a little difficult for me sometimes to talk about and um i'm going to tell you the story uh i think some of my friends depending on you know different people have, uh, know the full story and so uh, I'll tell you the full story and, and you know, um, I'll tell you where, how I feel about it. And, and some of it's pretty hard for me at times uh, to think about. Uh, but uh, we were staffing our second aircraft and uh, that aircraft is, is normally on duty from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And so uh, it was getting close to the end of our duty day and it had been raining pretty heavy. Uh, <clears throat> about, I think, Mejia is roughly 100, 120-ish miles uh, northeast of Austin. So it was raining up there, but you know, we, we really weren't all that concerned about it because it was 120 miles away roughly. And, and so we're, we're, you know, sitting around the, the station doing our thing and, and a rescue call goes out for someone who fell and, uh, needed stuff in the, we call it the green belt. It's a, a, a Creek that flows through kind of the center of Austin. It's a very popular, uh, climbing and hiking area, uh and stuff and it kind of runs through the middle of town and it just has some difficult access so we do a, a fair number of hoists uh over the course of the year out of this area that's kind of right in the middle of an, an urban area and it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic to you know know that you're never more than probably a half mile from a house but it's just such difficult access that uh the the ground search and rescue teams and the fire department and, and all that uh will use us sometimes to extricate the patient because it just takes so long to carry them out so wow. um our other aircraft our primary aircraft had been dispatched on that call and uh, <clears throat> so we were listening to the call like we, you know like monday morning quarterbacking is is you know probably <laughs> rescue crews are prone to do That's so what we the radio on, <laughs> and we're listening to them talk and we're kind of you know sitting around the station and our day our duty day is almost over so we're kind of getting ready to go home and so we're kind of listening to this rescue and you know are they going to are they going to hoist them out are they not going to hoist them out and we're kind of listening to it um and uh get a call from our uh, program manager who says, Hey, uh, I've gotten some reports about this, this rescue that needs to happen up near Lake Mahea that they've tried multiple search and uh, swift water rescue teams have tried to get these people out and they can't, I don't have a lot of details. I know it's the end of y'all's day or y'all, do you, do you think you can go? Do you guys feel okay? It's the end of your day. Do you feel like you can go do this? So I went and talked to the, the pilot and the uh, uh, nurse who was on duty with me that day and we were we were both game and so we said yeah we'll go do it uh and so we call him up and he's like i don't have a whole lot of information you're gonna get dispatched i'll get it for you but we know it's far enough away and we looked and we said all right we're gonna have to fly to waco first and get gas and then we'll go to the rescue so we knew we had uh, uh, a bit of time to kind of wait and get some more information so we kind of get all our equipment loaded up in the aircraft and we take off and so we're heading towards waco and we had kind of low ceilings but it's one of those like low ceilings was very defined you could see all the way to her horizon but you could tell there were some some low clouds uh and we could see and so we're flying up there and we're talking and then my phone starts going off and it starts and i look and i pull it oh, out you're in pocket. the helicopter flying yeah it goes off and up yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just book. you say so you're on your way to your case and yeah and, so we're on and, our way to the case. okay, and, and okay. I, my phone starts ringing and so i, I look at it and it's one of the other flight paramedics. And I was like, oh, I wonder why this guy's calling me in the middle of the night. So I click decline and I'm waiting to get, I keep checking it because I'm waiting to kind of get additional information 
on this rescue we're going on. And so um, some other people, I start getting some text messages from some other people just, you know, saying something. And I'm like, well, you know, yeah, I know it's, you know, like I, at the time I didn't know what was going on. Uh, and so finally, uh, a good friend of mine and uh, uh, I didn't ask him if I could say his name, but I'm going to say his name anyway. Uh, right. So uh, <laughs> this guy, uh, Lynn Birchall, who, uh, by the way, if you ever want to do any swift water stuff, you should learn from Lynn because he's just stellar. Uh, he he texts me and uh, says something, and he had left Starfleet. He had worked at Starfleet, and he had gone on, and he was working for uh, doing training and, and stuff, teaching swift water for uh, the Department of Public Safety. And I knew that we had gotten this call kind of through that route. It had gone from, I think, a, either a, a state trooper on scene or a parks and, and wildlife guys on scene or something. So I thought maybe he had additional information. So he sends me this text and he says, what, you know, you going on that rescue? And I said, well, yes. Uh, and so I text, I was like, Oh, you may have some additional information. So I text him back and he says, what's going on. And I said, I don't know. And so we, we have this text exchange and it goes on for a couple of minutes and he's like, he won't tell me, I won't tell you. And so I think on, on both sides of the story, like he thinks I'm playing coy and i'm not telling him stuff and i think he's not telling me stuff and finally i'm like look man i'm going to do this rescue why don't you tell me what's going on and he says well hey he's like i'm, I'm sorry he's like you know it's just my friend and so i thought it was his friend he was talking about that needed a rescue in Mahaya, and he's like i just want to know what's going on and so all of a sudden and you don't kind of, actually know what's going on with the other aircraft I, at time. that point i think I, I think at that point we knew that the, a boat had gone was trapped on the river and there were some people in the boat and that's about the extent of what we knew we were going to do. And so, okay. uh, uh, and so I thought when he said my friend, I thought it was, you know, something in the boat. And so I, I thought he's talking about like that. And I'm like, well, tell me what, you know, tell me what you know about this so I can start kind of thinking about how I'm going to execute this rescue. And then at some point in there, we have this realization, I think that neither of us are talking about the same thing. We're holding a mm -hmm. conversation. I'm talking about going to this rescue at Lake Mahaya and he's talking about what's happened back in Austin. Yeah. And so finally, he, you know, and this, I say, finally, it's not like we were sending this long, complicated, it's, this probably occurs over a minute and a half, two minutes, maybe. And we're flying up to, to, to the Waco airport to get air gas. And he tells me, he finally says, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm talking about going to Lake Mahia to this rescue. What are you talking about? And that's when he tells me, uh, he says, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to help Starflight One. I said, no, they're doing this rescue and he's like no he tells me that uh there'd been an incident on the accident and uh that uh Kristen mclean had fallen uh from the hoist while they were doing a hoist holy cow and so and then you know there's this oh my god moment uh, and i'm kind of stunned for a second and and so then i ask is everything is she okay she just hurt and he says i don't know if i should tell you right now which in and of itself is kind of an answer. Um, right, of course. I, I, and, and that question, then all of a sudden it starts to make sense. Why is my phone, like you can see, you know, on your phone, you get 27 unwritten, you know, text messages are popping up in the corner and stuff like that. And phones just ringing and ringing and ringing. And so finally he tells me, he says, I don't think she survived the fall. Oh and, my and so gosh. We're flying and all of a sudden, like no one else in the aircraft knows what's going on. And I'm sure there'd be oh. some people out there. I struggle. And to this day, I still like at times that when I think about that this night and this rescue, I, I struggle with, did I do the right thing? And so, um, 
And I'll tell you what I did. And, and uh, you know, I, I, there's a handful of people who think like, yeah, you did. And uh, it's to this day, it still bothers me. Like I said, okay, we got these people who need to be rescued. Do I just go do the mission or do we just turn around and go home and shut it down? Cause nobody else in the aircraft knows. And, and so wow. I kind of, what a burden for you to carry all the way to a rescue. So we, yeah. we, holy shit. I, I, I said, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to, I'm going to get to the airport. We're going to land that way. At least I, in my head, I thought the best plan is to get to the airport. We'll either stay there. We'll tell everybody. We'll find out what happened. Uh, as much as we can, you know, in the early stages and we won't do any, we won't do the rescue. We'll just be done and we'll just stay there. At least if we're all too upset, we won't fly a helicopter back. Right. Agreed. And, and so we land and I, I call the boss on the phone and I, and I lied. Um, and, uh, I told him I didn't know what had happened. Uh, and that I just knew something bad had happened back home. And I said, do you want us to go do this rescue or do you want us to just stay here? Uh, and he said, well, does everybody else know? And I said, no, I don't think they do. And he said, do you think you can go do this? And I said, yeah, I, I think I can go do this. And he said, if you think you can go do it, go do it. And I said, okay. So, uh, I spent a great deal of time, um, trying to make sure no one had access to their phones, uh, you know, in the 10, 15 minutes it took us to go get gas. Uh, and so, you know, I know it's probably, you know, it's hard. I'm not, wasn't in the military. And so, you know, uh, we're civilians, right? We're a civilian rescue organization. We don't do deal with a lot of line of duty death. So it's not right, like right. military guys who know that, you know, this happens sometimes, like, you know, sometimes people are going to be killed in action or something, but we still have a job to do and, and, and stuff. And so I struggled. I like to this day, I still struggle. And it took me a long time. I ended up, you know, trying to come to terms with, am I a bad person? Because I didn't fall to pieces immediately hearing this. And, and what do I do? And, and I, I, you know, I, I still don't know that I have the right answer on it. Uh, I mean, I made the decision I made at the time and I don't know what I would do if I was faced with that again. I, uh, I know it was, it was really, it was really hard for me. Uh, like I said, to, to you know, do I, how do I put this out of my mind long enough to go help these people? Because, I knew that they were in a bad, these people we were going to rescue, who I don't know, are in a bad spot because it was one of those, they were fishing on the lake or they're doing something on the lake and the lake has a spillway and, and uh, their boat had gotten too close to the spillway. So they'd gone over the spillway oh, and it geez. had gotten wedged up on some yeah. rocks or a tree or something. And this was the, the first fire department gets there with their swift water team and they look at this problem and they say, we can't solve it. So they call another team and they show up and they say, no, we, no, this is beyond us. And so, we're in the decision tree. We were probably, you know, like the last ditch, like they called, you know, four or five departments to go yeah. out there and, and try and solve this problem. And, and they didn't, it was too dangerous for them to put a boat in the water and, they, and there weren't any other helicopters because uh, available or something. So it was us. And so, you know, I made a decision that, that we were going to go, we were going to do this rescue and uh, I was going to do my best to not think about everything else that was going on. Um, and so we fly out there, we get gas and we, we fly out there and, and sure enough, in the middle of this, you know, creek that probably is normally about, I don't know, 20, 30 yards wide was probably 400 yards wide. Yeah. Uh, and there's water going through the trees. And sure enough, right in the middle, there's this boat. And there's 
uh, a couple people clustered on the boat. And so we look at it and we said, all right, well, the, the rescue portion isn't, doesn't look like it's going to be that bad. We do a little recon and there's some power lines, or, you know, up kind of upstream and downstream. We looked at it and you could see where the river normally or the creek outflow normally goes and there's all these trees. And so we said, all right, we're going to do that. But then we thought this is, you know, one of those things is at the time we were both a hoist and a short haul program. So we had a hoist, uh, but we also still did short haul. We kind of left it up to the crew to make a decision. Uh, when you get there, what you think the best means is. And for the most part, hoist was our primary extraction. And so we thought about it. Okay. And then we look at these people and we said, well, they're in a boat, boats float. What's going to happen when we start taking weight out of the boat? Is the boat going to become more buoyant? Is it going to unanchor the boat? And so we rescue the first person, but then the boat floats down the river and oh, we no. make a worse problem, right? And so we thought about it for a second. And I said, you know, I think what the best plan is, is we're just going to take everybody all at once. So we're not going to hoist them uh, because that'd be three or four people, or I guess three, uh, yeah. on the end of the hoist. And, and that's probably, you know, I know that's going to exceed 550 pounds of, yeah. of waste, right? And so uh, I said, well, short haul, because I know at that point we can certainly take the weight and all that. And I said, we'll just take everybody all at once. So we go and we land, and put the rescuer on to the end of the thing, get all the, the, the weirs in the quick strop, get the, everybody on the, get him set up with a couple of quick strops and then lift off and fly in and there used to be video. I couldn't have planned it better. Like, it's just one of those things when you look back at it. Um, we come in and it looks like I planned to do this. So we, we get him just two or three to above the, feet above the water and we come approaching the boat. And it's literally like he comes in and just takes two steps and he's on the boat. And like, like from the <laughs> side view, it looks like, and I couldn't do that again if I tried. Like, it just looked perfect. Nice. He gets in and, you know, he, he throws these, he gets these two people in the strop. And, um, uh, we, you know, we're able to, to, to lift him out and we go set him down on the bank and, and they're able to go, you know, be reunited with their family. And at that point, you know, everything was done. We flew back to the Waco airport, you know, and uh, it was then that, you know, we, I uh, got a hotel room. At that point, it was tired. Everybody's exhausted. I, I don't remember. It's hours later. It's probably, you know, after midnight, one, close to 1 a.m. at that point. And so, um we said, like, we're not going home. We'll just leave. We'll park the aircraft at the airport. We'll go get a hotel room. We'll spend the night here. Uh, and it was at that point that I, I, I got called the boss. And he said, you know, call. let me know when everybody's at the hotel and y'all are settled in and we'll do a conference call and I'll, I'll tell everybody what happened. And I said, okay. And so, and so that we did. And, and that's when they let everything in. And, you know, I don't, there was a lot of stuff, you know, looking back at that, that I, I still was that the right decision? Was it not? Should I have yeah. gone on that rescue? Should I have helped those people or should I have just told them, Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with my own stuff. You know, you'll figure maybe the water will go down. Maybe you'll float downstream. I don't know. Um, but I didn't. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to think that at the end of the day that Kristen would have made the same decision, uh, or would have been happy with my decision. Uh, at least that's what I tell myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I don't know. Like I, like I said, it was, it made me for a long time. Like, you know, I didn't tell anybody this. I kind of kept it to myself, but I, I felt like I was just a bad person because I went and did this knowing what had happened back home. Uh, and it was tough. I, I got to tell you, I know I've said that a couple of times, um, but it, it was a really hard decision. And I, I, you know, don't remember, 
you know, I don't remember how, you know, or I, I can't remember kind of thinking like, how, how do you justify this? I don't have a good answer. And so uh, if anybody asks, like, what do you do in that situation? It's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know, like if there's, you know, I don't know what they tell you if you're in the army or, or in, the, in the military forces, they tell you like, if you're, you're doing something and there's a casualty, what do you do? How do you keep going on the mission? Like I'm a chucklehead paramedic, right? Like we just don't, we don't expect that kind of thing to happen, right? Uh, you know, in, in the civilian world for the most part. And so when it did, I was really kind of, didn't really have the tools or, or skills or, or anything to kind of, how do I process this? And so I did the best I could at the moment. And, you know, maybe it wasn't the right thing to do, but those two people were, you know, got rescued and, and, and fortunately they got to go home to their family and stuff. And, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, I'll, you know, which kind of left me and the rest of the guys to kind of deal with things. So, wow. Like, uh, there's so much from that. Um, one great job on the rescue, uh, you know, smart move, you know, just in your description of where the boat is and, and how you're going to pluck everybody off and, you know, to go in there, um, you know, a lot of people have talked to me about when you have an incident or something happens that you have to be able to compartmentalize all of that. So you have to take things and you have to say, okay, this is what I'm going to deal with right now. I will deal with this later. I'm going to compartmentalize this and this, and that's exactly what you did. Uh, you know what, if I was in that situation, I don't know what I would do either. I, so I, I cannot tell you if you made a right or wrong decision and I'm sorry that I can't. Um, I think you made the best decision based on the information you had at hand and you did what you thought was right. I, I'm, well, I don't think anybody I should hope, fault you for that. You know, I, I know there's no way for anyone to tell you, like people can say like, you know, at the time you may have made the right decision and, and, you know, I think it's a personal thing. Like I have to be willing to, you know, to my own, you know, you have to be willing to accept yourself or forgive yourself for the things you do. Um, and that's a hard, it's a hard, you know, pill to swallow. It's a hard thing to get over and think about. Um, and I hope, you know, everybody listening uh, to this, I hope you're never faced with that situation of what do you do when you're doing a mountain rescue or something. And one of your teammates, you know, has a, a fatal accident or has a, you know, serious injury and you're faced with that um i don't know how to tell you what to do like i i could just you know you listen to this this is what i did and this is how i managed to get through that rescue yeah. i don't know that that would work for anyone else um and i hope you no one else ever asked it to find out um so yeah wow. oh thanks for sharing that one holy cow uh, yeah it kind of it does bring the mood down a little bit um I think it was good, you know, in the end, I think it, you know, as I think about, and as I move forward and, and when I train people now, uh, I think about that and, and I don't always share that story or, or in many parts of that story with people because some of it is still, still bothers me internally, but I use some of the things that I learned that night as a way to, uh, in my head, I, I think about things to teach people and talk about. Uh, uh, and so, um, it's, you know, I use the, uh, kind of that example of you get there and you don't know what's going to happen. You have to figure something out on the fly. Well, the only reason I was able to, that it went fairly quickly. And I was like, well, we'll just take two is I had kind of thought about that kind of thing in the past. Uh, you know, Texas has had over the years, a number of high profile. Um, I think it was injunction years ago where we have multiple people stuck in a swift water flood and you got 
10 people in the back of a car or that the rescue I did six months earlier, like, do we take everybody right. I mean, I take a bunch of people <laughs> at the same time? So yeah. in my head, I kind of already had that planned out and, and it served me well that night to say like, to get there and be like, okay, let's just take everybody all at once. Like we're, you know, we all kind of agree that, you know, if we take they're adults. If we take, you know, 200 pounds of adult out of a boat that's, you know, floating wedged up against rocks, does that mean that it's more likely to float away? And, and, and we thought, yes. And so we said, well, we'll yeah. let's just take everybody all at once and just be done with it. And one, one maneuver versus, you know, two. Uh, and so it was because great I had idea. thought about that. Uh, so. Yeah, that, that is a great idea. Uh, you know, I mean, and you have the capability and option to do that. Some helicopter agencies don't have that. I don't have the option to, you know, to choose between short haul and hoist. It's, it's, you're going to hoist. That's what I have. So, and yeah, you're right, we, you can't pick up three people because that over exceeds the limit of the hoist. The next thing you know, you're, you're out of business. So yeah, you, you have to go one or two at a time. So. And, you know, now I'm, I'm like you are in our new aircraft in the, in the one six nine. Um, we can't, we don't, do short haul anymore so i you know i think like what would i do in that situation what would you do yeah. if you had three people and and this is one of those things that i i think is really important for all of us to do and especially newer anybody who's new to rescue trying to sort that out with the lightning and the rain and the alligators <laughs> and all that other stuff that's going on yeah in my opinion trying to pioneer a new technique is never a good idea in the middle of all that happening so, totally agree. I think it's one of those things like when you get new people and stuff and I tell all the people I train is like the time to think about that stuff is today, you know, and right now in, in uh, central Texas, the sun is shining. It's not a cloud in the sky and it's, you know, 65 degrees and it's, you know, a chamber of commerce day and it's beautiful. And so now's the day to sit around with your crew and say, you know, they're building a lot of stuff for high rises around here. And what would we do if that guy in the, crane operator 200 feet above the ground suddenly had a heart attack what's the best way to get him off that crane back down to the ground right right, right. Uh, so what would we do if then so now's the time to think about that and at least right. have a plan uh, or have thought about that and, and then go ask you know reach out and ask somebody like hey have you guys ever thought about this and so asking you know me calling you up and saying like hey you know have you ever had this and what would you do if you had to have this problem and i think that's you know that's the best thing any program can do, which is one, you know, talk to your tenured personnel, your, your seasoned personnel who come from maybe another organization to work for you and ask their opinion, but reach out and like, you know, don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. Don't be think like, hey, if I have to go ask, you know, uh, anybody, like, how would I do this? If I go, you know, call up some other agency and say like, Hey, you know, what do y'all do this? doesn't mean that your agency doesn't know what they're doing. That's the yeah. way we all get better. And agree. You know, <laughs> there's a thousand or many ways to skin a cat. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, calling up and asking, and that's why I think it's really important, you know, when we, you know, we have conferences or, or we get together every once in a while and we get a chance to talk, or if you have connections at other programs, you can email out and talk to those people. Like that's the way to do it. Like being a program that stands in isolation. And if you want to do that, that's fine. Uh, whatever choice you choose to make, but collectively, we're so much stronger as a community collectively than we are as individuals. Very uh, much so. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much we can learn and, and maybe your piece of equipment doesn't work in my aircraft, but that doesn't mean that I don't understand like what you're doing. I can think like, yeah, you know, we can't do that, but maybe we could do. Um, and sometimes the conversation you start having 
isn't where you finish up. Uh, and that's okay. You know, I, I think about that sometimes when we start talking about, Hey, maybe we want to do X. And I start thinking about that. And by the time we're done, we've forgotten completely about whatever procedure or whatever piece of equipment we wanted to buy or something like that. And we somehow stumbled onto a new topic, but we're better because we arrive at that new topic and we do adopt that is, you yeah. know, a standard procedure or something like that. So I think it's really important to sit around the station and, and war game these things out. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time on, on YouTube at the station searching helicopter rescue to just watch what gets posted and then look at it and, and ask myself, like, would, would I do it this way? Uh, would it, or would I not do it that way? And, and if I did not just to say, Oh, I think, you know, they did a bad job, but to say like, why do I think like, you know, is it just that it's not my way and so it can't be right. Or is it, do I see something in there that I think is, you know, that I felt is, is fundamentally unsafe or wrong. And, and uh, so I spent a lot of time, you know, surfing YouTube for that. Um, because I think it's, it's a great way for people to kind of learn and expand their knowledge and see that, you know, we teach a certain procedure, a certain technique here at, at Travis County star flight, but yeah. that doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. Agreed. It just means that that's, when we mitigate risk, and I look at this and, and I tell people, like, I don't know, at least in my mind, there's no 100% safe way to do a hoist short of never leaving the ground. Ah, uh, true statement. <laughs> so all of the things, whether you're a dynamic hoisting program or you're a static hoisting program, and whether you um, always use taglines or you never use taglines, your organization somehow is mitigating risk through everything you do. And the way you do it, may be different the way and so you accept certain risks by doing a certain procedure because you mitigate these other ones well it in our RZ, we may be 180 degrees out we may say that well, i understand why you're doing that we think that this is more dangerous than that and so we yeah. have chosen to not use taglines because of the risk of whatever and we chose to do this instead uh and i think it's important for people to look out there and understand you know that as we go through this and we learn from other people and we look at this to say like I understand We're, we've accepted that, you know, this risk uh, because it uh, eliminates or we think it minimizes these other risks. But I understand that somebody could very well come back. It's, you know, it's kind of like asking pilots, what's the best way to take off? And you can ask six pilots, you know, the same question and come up with 14 different answers. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, it depends on this. The and then it depends on this. Well, then it depends on this. So. Yeah. Yeah. And we like to use a tagline because it's like, okay, but we don't, you know, like, oh, you know, the folks that like dynamic is the only way to do hoisting. It's like, well, I think dynamics a great way to do hoisting, but I don't think it's the only way to do hoisting. I think there's situations where you can't do dynamic. And so you need to be able and you need to understand that, you know, the pros and the cons and the, the, yeah. the benefits and the, the downside of everything we do. And, you know, we get that through me talking to you at our training right and understanding like oh yeah i never thought about that i see what you're saying on that we just yeah. you know that's not you know to come together and be able to say like without arguing or fighting about it be able to say like i yeah you know i understand that we just choose to do it a different way or that's not our technique that's whatever and and you know and that's important to be able to, to learn from somebody um you know that's where programs get stale i think that's where they get potentially dangerous is when we say like this is our way to do it and and we're not open to the suggestion that maybe there's a better way or maybe I could learn something from another program. So, yeah. Well, you made a great point there. And the fact that you just said it's your technique, there are a lot of techniques out there as to how to, how to hoist. And there's a lot of techniques as to how to long line uh, or short haul. There's, you know, when you're in, when you're putting gear in, when you're taking gear out there, there are so many ways to do it. They're not all wrong, 
they're not all or they're they're just options. You have options, and I love options. I love to have options. You have to have options in order to do each job that you go to. And every every hoist is different. Every rescue is different. So you, you know what you did two rescues ago may have nothing to do with the rescue you're currently on. At the same time, the rescue you did two rescues ago has memory and a crew mentality and hey, this is how we're going to work through this together. So, but yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, for us, I like to say that we have a standard, right? Like we, we have protocols and we say, here's our standard. Like the, yep. and the standard is we, we want to pick up the load. We don't want it to swing more than so many feet, right? We want to be as, as plumb as possible. How we get to that is a technique, right? So the standards in the middle and then we have, uh, you know, left and right side, we have the technique that we either of any of us use to approach that. And, you know, and that technique could be, I like to hold the cable in this hand versus the other people hold the cable in that hand. Well, at the end of the day, that's, you know, technique, not standard, right? Like, Thank you know, you. so, yeah. yeah, you know, that's always important to understand that there's, a, you know, there's just different technique and that doesn't make it wrong. It just means it's that. Um, so, but yeah, so those are, Wow. Uh, you want to hear, you have time for one more recipe? I got time for a whole all bunch. Right, what right, are you talking about? Come right. on. Uh, all right. So uh, I don't want to end on that, that the story of, of the accident because um, it was pretty bad. Uh, well, I can, was, can I ask something just before we get into this next rescue? We'll yeah. end it on a positive note, but yeah, out of the crash or out of the incident that you had, Kristen, you said? Yes. What did you guys learn from that? to prevent that from happening again was it a gear failure was it a you know an aircraft issue a hoist issue a, i mean without so, going into major details and, and i'm not asking for that you know because I, I don't know what's released i don't so i don't want you to uh cause any problems there but what did you learn like how to how did how do you prevent that again so that's a great question and it's really hard because it, uh, there is an ntsb report um i think if you google in TSB, Travis County, you can probably find it. I think the most difficult thing in, in all of this is that we don't know. We don't know what caused the accident okay. because at the end of the day, the hoist didn't malfunction, the aircraft didn't malfunction, the hook didn't malfunction, her vest didn't malfunction, and, and so you know, I believe, and I think most people would agree, like when you have something happen, you have an accident, whatever it is, the easiest. And I don't mean this, don't, please don't take, nobody take this that I mean, it's easy to get over this is there's an equipment problem that's somewhat easy to mitigate because you can go and say, we need to buy a better right. mousetrap, right? Or whatever yeah. it is, you need to go yeah. buy a better piece of equipment that this failed. When you don't have that, where do you, what do you do? And so we did, we, we went back and, you know, um, if anybody never, if anybody's ever, you know, their programs had a fatal accident or serious accident, you know what it's like. All these people show up, um, you know, there's going to be at some point lawsuits. Uh, all these people show up and they look at your program under an electron microscope and they look at every single thing you do and they tell you what's right and they tell you what's wrong uh, and they start finding stuff that, that and, and, you know, and then you're like, oh my God, like, um, and so, you know, what it did was it forced us to go back and say, we, first of all, we can't ever have this happen again. Yeah. And we need to figure out how, what are we going to do to kind of prevent this from happening? So we, we went back and, and instituted some procedures to double check, uh, you know, connections to make sure that this isn't going to happen. And so, you know, uh, 
you know, we didn't learn, unfortunately, I don't say unfortunately, that's probably not the right way to say it. We didn't learn, you know, that we bought the wrong equipment. We didn't learn that, you know, we had a non-locking carabiner in the wrong place. We didn't learn anything like that. Uh, what we learned was that there, there may have been some human error in, involved. Uh, I don't know that for sure. Uh, I don't think anybody knows because we don't, at the end of the day, we don't have an answer. We don't know what happened. Wow. Okay. Uh, and, 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 you know, probably over the years, everyone who, who works at Starflight has speculated on what they think happened. Um, but we don't know. And so, you know, it's pretty hard to, to say, fix this problem, but nobody knows what the problem is. Mm. We just know that we had a bad outcome. Uh, That's tough. But we don't know how to solve the problem. And, uh, you know, and so that yeah, was hard. It really is. And I, you know, I think, you know, it, and people, you know, we all had to look in and say like, man, like how am I still comfortable doing this? Do, you know, it puts me at risk, you know, it puts my family at risk because, you know, without me, what are they going to do? And I think, you know, there were some, you know, very heavy moments there for everybody at the program to sit back and think like, you know, what am I doing here? And, and, you know, and, and, you know, is this, is search and rescue really for me? Uh, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with you say it's not like rescue is not for everyone. Right. So right, right. it's not the end of the world. And I, and I think, you know, for us, that was, you know, what we learned was, yeah, there was a couple of things we could change uh, and we've made some procedural changes largely and stuff, but you know, it was hard because we don't, in the end, we don't know what happened. And, and, and that's just, you know, that's just, I think, you know, that's hard because you go back and you think, and then you, you know, you well, maybe this and no, oh, well, and then you think and like, Oh, you know, could it have been some one in a billion equipment failure that when it failed, it failed in such a way that it looks perfectly serviceable and you could put it back in use tomorrow and, and no one would ever know it was involved in an accident. Like, but no, you know, and so that, I think that's the hard thing is just not knowing. Um, wow. Wow. Well, again, thank you for sharing that. It's, uh, uh, much you know, appreciated. I, I, I hope somebody can gain something from that. And uh, I, you know, I hope, you know, people understand it was a really hard time for us and then, you know, judge if you will but and you know until you're in that position it's a it's a tough thing to say like i would never have done that i just would have done x and you know if you know how you're going to react when when something horrible happens to you your program or you're involved in that then more power to you i didn't know and i'm you know unfortunately i had never even you know i knew that rescue was dangerous but i had never allowed myself to think like we're ever going to have something like that happen and so i didn't war game i didn't know what i was going to do and so I made it up on the fly. So, right. And I, I did what I did on the fly. And, and, you know, I say that's not the right way to do things. Uh, and it probably wasn't, but I never allowed myself to ever possibly think that anybody could get hurt, that we were just, it was never going to happen. We were just going to always, you know, triumph. And, and turns out I was wrong. So anyway. Uh, oh, wow. Well, spin this, baby. Spin it to uh, right. give me a positive. What, All right, give, me this, says, give me this so, rescue. In every organization, you got to have some policies named after you, uh, because. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. You know, it's great when a story starts like that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this rescue, like, um, they were two of my, uh, my really good friends uh, and the pilot, and so. Uh, that day, uh, the pilot was um, this guy, our, or he's now our uh, director of aviation operations. 
uh, the time he was a, just a, a line staff guy uh, with us. And so his name was Craig Hilsendagger. And, uh, and then uh, we were training a new nurse. And this was like on a Sunday, I think. And at some point in training, you know, one day you're a trainee and the next day you're not, right? And so we had to make a decision. And so Sunday, we have three people on the aircraft. Uh, Jen is a trainee. On Monday, it's just me and her and we're going forth. And so we had three people. So we had Craig, Jen, and uh, a good friend of mine who just retired from Starflight, Howard. Uh, and so we get dispatched on a, a, a high angle rescue or a technical rescue uh, out at Enchanted Rock, which is a giant granite dome, about 60, 65 miles kind of west of Austin. Popular hiking area, very beautiful. It's this giant granite dome. Um, it's the largest like granite dome in this part of the United States or something like that. And, and this is great. You hike up to the top. It's got stunning views. Um, but it's um, over the years, you know, parts of these, this rock have kind of fall off, fallen off and there's some rubble piles. And those rubble piles create, we call them caves, but I guess they're really just, you know, throw a bunch of rocks down in this hollow voids and people, <laughs> people go crawling through them. So that's not really a that cave. Down. I don't know what you're thinking yeah, down not, there in Austin, but that's not really yeah. a cave. We have a lot of caves. So we do have some caves, <laughs> like actual like limestone. Yeah, yeah. But this is actually just a rubble pile and there's some void spaces and people go crawl through the void spaces and, and it's pretty cool. And so, right. um, we fly out there and we land and we, we, and there's not the normal, usual amount of response vehicles there, which I thought was kind of odd, but at the moment I didn't know anything. And so we see them and they, and we get, we get radio contact and, and they say like, Hey, no, she's still down in the, the, the crevasse or the cave or whatever. They, and then we go, all right. So we found a spot where we could safely land the helicopter. So we go land and the three of us go traipsing down there and Hey, what's going on? And they said, no, well, she's down there. And they point this, you know, three or four foot, opening that drops down about 20 feet and then it's you know kind of spreads out in different directions and stuff they're like she's down there and i was like okay i'm like when are y'all bringing her out and, and the park ranger and a couple of fire or first responder folks that were there all turned and looked at me and said as soon as you get her out and i'm like <laughs> i'm looking at myself like i'm looking around like maybe somebody showed up behind me and no they're not and so i'm standing there and you know, this is where uh, I do think that at the end of the day, like if your helicopter rescue team has the ability to have your fingers, you, there's certainly no way, at least in my mind, it was, we gave it up years ago, trying to be proficient in you know, like high angle rescue and helicopter rescue and ground-based swift water techniques and all this stuff and said, yeah. you know what, you just can't, it's, it's that skill set is way, it's technical, it advances and stuff. So we stopped doing that. Um, people like me who'd done it in the past kind of had a background it still had some skills and still knew some stuff and we at the time still participated in some high angle type stuff and so i said all right and i said all right well no okay fine i guess i'm figured out so i go up to the aircraft and we had some gear because we still said like look we need to be able to maybe make access if we couldn't hoist to somebody you know we had uh you know you could rappel down or we could lower somebody down we had some basic uh, technical rope rescue gear in the aircraft. And I said, all right. And, and the, the responders had some stuff. So they kind of cobbled this little pile of stuff together. And I look at it. I'm like, all right, well, I know I can get you down there. So set this stuff up and send the first guy down into the hole uh, to start some patient care. And, and then all this stuff comes up and, and, and the whole time I'm thinking, 
what am I going to do? Like, how are we getting this lady out of here? And so uh, I'm looking at the stuff and I'm thinking like, oh, well, I can build a hall. I like looking at, we got like one pulley and some other stuff. I'm like, all right, I could, there's enough bystanders and stuff. Like I'm not lacking for muscle. Um, what I'm lacking is, is somebody besides me who really understands technical rescue. And so I'm like, all right, we're going to keep this simple. We're going to build this three to one hall system and we're going to bring this thing up. And so I'm doing all this. And in the meantime, you're like the pilots looking at me with this skeptical, like, you know what you're doing? Look, and I'm looking at him like, I'm about 90% sure of what I'm doing. 80%, 75% sure this is going to work. 50% sure this is going to work. And, and, and depending on how I, so it's funny. So we do all this stuff. And as I call the boss, I said, hey, I just want you to know that this patient stuck down in this hole, at, you know, in Chan Rock. And he's like, okay, so we're probably going to be here a little while. And he's like, okay. And they're like, yeah, they got to get her out of this hole. And he's like, okay. And he's just kind of listening to the story. Like, all right, you know, I get it. Y'all are going to be on scene longer than usual. Okay, blah, blah, blah. And then I was kind of like, oh, yeah. And by the way, I'm building the hall system. There you go, my click. Uh, so. <laughs> and then like, let me turn my phone off because I know yeah, someone's yeah. going to call me back, right? Like, what did oh, you just say? Yeah. yeah he's like, hey, come again. I'm like, uh, well, you know, I'm the most. Yeah, you're breaking, you're breaking up. Here, I can't, I can't I'm hear you. I'm expert, right? So hang on a second. And he's like are you uh, sure and i'm like all right i got this don't worry about it <laughs> so we did and i built this whole oh, system stuff. and i think it pulled against itself at one point i think it was like a uh instead of a, a three to one I think it was like a one to three or something like that <laughs> it was like pulled <laughs> i think i pulled them out in the pot like oh and it worked and and you know we really at the end of the day we only had to lift this lady like 10 feet we we get her up and it was difficult getting her over the lip because the, the litter wanted to turn and it was hitting rock and, and it was a, and it we toiled out pouring sweat and everybody's just dying sweat nobody has any water like i think at one point you know it was like one tiny little you know like 16 ounce or eight ounce bottle of water and like five of us are passing it around the drinking <laughs> and that's like where and i keep asking i keep thinking like i can stall out until the guys that know how to do this, who come out here all the time and do this, will be here. And I'm like, where is everyone? Where is, you know, all these other EMS agencies and this, this, the fire department stuff? They're like, oh, there's a big structure fire, a grass fire. You know, they're mutual aid in another county. They're not, they can't get here for hours. And I'm like, oh, great. Wow. I'm like, oh, I really am stuck on this rock. With the stuff. <laughs> oh and the my gosh. looking at me and he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, look. I know this is at least safe and I'm not saying it's the most efficient way. And I'm not even saying it's the best way to do it. I'm pretty sure we can do it. I, I know we can. So we, the, fortunately the, they, they got her packaged up and, and we lift her up and um, yeah, I just remember it, it was just took like five or 10 minutes to get over the lip and we get her up there. And fortunately uh, she was not significantly injured. I even tried, I was like, can't y'all go out the bottom. Isn't there an escape out the bottom? Can you just take her down? <laughs> and they were like, no. And uh, it's like, oh my God. And so eventually we come up and we, we, we get her out. And I'm like, everyone's exhausted. I'm like, like dripping sweat. And now we still have a hoist to do because yeah. we're still up on the side of this thing. We just managed to get her out of the hole onto this little platform. It still has, you know, this giant, like, you got to walk all the way uphill. And there's no way we're carrying her up this, you know, steep slope and we can't go down because there's boulder rubble pile with all these 10 20 foot drops and so we still have to hoist out so i remember i was like all right here's what we're gonna do and i was like jen you're gonna you're gonna tend the patient we're gonna come back and we and 
but this was, you know, she was still like at that point, technically uh, a trainee and like the next day she wouldn't. So the nice thing was, and I think it was good for her was that, and you don't get to do this very often as the hoist operator and stuff. Like I got to do all of her stand there while she showed me all of her connections and do all this. I was like, all right, now hold this. And we're going to go walk back up to the top of this mountain. We're going to get all this aircraft. We're going to fly back over here and don't change anything. You're just going to hook in there. And so I think it was good because um, for her, um, at least this is what I tell myself is that um, <laughs> we were there to help package the patient in the, in the extrication litter. And we were there to, to verify all our connections and stuff. And then, so she had, to, you know, for her, her first rescue, I, I say it was probably the best possible outcome for a brand awesome. new rescue. You know, you've got, a crew chief, you got your crew chief and your pilot there who are watching everything. You say like, this is hooked up. You've done everything right. You're good to go. All you got to do is, you know, when the hook hook comes is connect the hook to this ring and away you go. And so we did. And so we go up there and we pick her up and we hoist her out and we go set her down. And the, and the, the patient ends up going by a uh, uh, private vehicle or maybe ambulance to the hospital. Cause she really, all she had was a, a broken ankle uh, or something and she just couldn't walk on it. And so, um, but then we, so we go back up and we land <clears throat> and all this, and she's down there and we go back and we're exhausted. Everybody's tired. And I remember standing at the edge of the hole, looking down and Howard's in the hole. And, and, and so they've done the rescue and all this stuff. And he looks up at us and he goes, sticks his arms up, waves up at me. And he's like, get me out. And at that point I had enough, but I was like, Mom, get yourself out. Like, <laughs> He's like, call me out. And I was like, call yourself out. Like, you've been standing like, it's 120 degrees on the side of this block. We're all dying. And he's like, it's kind of hot down in this cave. And I was like, you lying. It's not hot down there. You don't even look like you're sweating. And, and I remember it like, the pilot was just laughing. And, and we're scared. Like, I almost wanted to. It's like, I'm looking down this hole. And, and Howard's down there. And he's looking up at me. And, and all these people are kind of staring down. And I'm like, crawl out and he's like i can't and i'm like fine so we go take the inefficient haul system we lower it back down and before it was much easier to haul him out but i just remember like oh, the, the, the look on my face and the pilot's face when he was like haul me out and I, we were both like what do you call you out like one of us has been sitting in the shade you didn't do anything oh like my gosh. and the rest of us are up here like toiling in the sun what do you call you out <laughs> go give me a glass of water why don't you go do that like, so and, and so the funny part is so that all that comes out and in, in, in the end no one got hurt we didn't break anything it worked out pretty well and so we go back and i tell the story and you know the bosses are looking at me and they're like hang on a second you did what how did you build that and i'm like tell them i'm like well i have one pulley in this and i used two prussics to you know we didn't have a rescue sender or you know any sort of progress capturing device so I, you know, put two prussics on here. I did this. I kind of tell them what I did and how I built it uh, and all this other stuff. And they looked at me and like the next day, a memo came out that said, thou shall not participate, actively participate in high angle rescue. <laughs> it was like, that's done. We're not doing that anymore. They took all the stuff off the aircraft. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 yeah. no more high angle So. <clears throat> hey, well I done. Felt, well done. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny at the time. Now, uh, enough time has passed that I think, you know, uh, you know, you can look back and you can chuckle about it and stuff, but uh, it was pretty entertaining at the time thinking like, you know, you got to have a policy named after you. Uh, <laughs> we are rescinding that policy. We've decided that probably, you know, they ought to have, we, well, 
you're still not allowed to build a hall system or anything like that, but you probably ought to at least have some working knowledge of how all that stuff works. So uh, we're going to start sending all our folks back to uh, kind of a rope rescue awareness course so that um, nice. we've had a couple of, a couple of other instances over the years where, you know, the, the patient was in an area that we couldn't directly hoist to, but they still wanted uh, us to go down and provide some medical care. And so they get lowered down by the, the, the departments that's there. And so we felt like it's probably, you know, asking you to put yourself on a, a system or do something that, you, you know, you don't know anything about. You should right. at least have some baseline knowledge to be able to say, yeah, I can see that that's safe. And I and yes, they tied the right knot and they're lowering me down. And I understand how all this works. So uh, we're moving back, but we're still not allowed to build home systems. So <laughs> I guess my legacy, my legacy lives on and that you're not supposed to be the subject matter expert for a high angle rescue. So, um, Oh my yeah. God, Steph, I love it. That's great. <laughs> oh. Well, Steph, oh, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for, for all your time here. I, I don't want to take up your entire day. So. Oh, I uh, got nothing but time for you, man. But yeah, I get it. Dude, awesome stories. Love it. Thank well, you for sharing. Oh, you're welcome, man. I really appreciate you having me on. And, uh, yeah. you know, I look forward to seeing you again, you know, in person someday when you get back, like I'll we'll all get together again and have the, uh, the famed, uh, what is it? What do we say? It was going to, we were going to have a Christmas party at, uh, yeah. in San Diego, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> I, th I think uh, that's where, if not San Diego, I, maybe Mexico. I don't know. It was, was going to be a good spot. Somewhere like that, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on and, uh, oh, you know. Thanks for coming um, on, man. I look sure. forward to listening to your podcast and, uh, uh, you know, I'm glad good. to have uh, been a part of it, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, heck yeah. Again, thank you for coming on. Um, All right. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh, yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>